from this passage, Matthew 18. We're going to read the first five verses, page 985 on the Bibles that should be nearby, or you can grab from somewhere. Well done. Um, uh, let, me, let me read, which I'm sure will be familiar verses uh, to some of us. Uh, Matthew 18, page 985. Matthew 18, and beginning at the first verse. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I do keep it open in front of you. I'm just going to adjust this. On Sunday mornings a while back, come on Sundays, we looked at this chapter, this wonderful chapter in Matthew's gospel where the question of greatness comes up. And I, I thought it would be good... Again, whether you, you haven't been with us on Sundays or whether you have been, just to hear from this part of God's Word before we hear from, from Lois and John. Again, if you, if you were here on those Sundays when we did it, you might remember the disciples, uh, probably the 12 are in view immediately, but uh, the, the disciples, the 12, come to Jesus with a question. And we've just read it there. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you can imagine, can't you, the reason for the, the question. Often in any group... There's some kind of jostling for position. That's what happens, isn't it? Who's the best? Uh, where do we fit in the order of things? There's jostling for, for position with the hope in that jostling that I, I'll come out, if not on top, at least somewhere near the top. That's kind of uh, what we're after. Uh, these guys, they want to hear something that will make them feel more secure in who they already are. Am I the kind of person... God says is doing pretty well. And Jesus does what he often does uh, with a single line. He completely unsettles their pride. Did you notice it? Uh, after calling a little child, he says in verse 3, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it's not the way we would speak, but as you consider it, as you, you think about what Jesus is saying, you can translate it like this. Oh, I don't think you guys should worry about being the greatest, because unless you change, you're not even going to get in. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And that's quite unsettling, isn't it? It's not that Jesus says greatness is a category you don't need to think about. I think what he's saying is um, greatness is a category we're not very good at thinking about. We think we're familiar with greatness and the greats. Uh, here's some, some things that come to me. You, you'll have your own versions of them. Brian Clough, those of you who are old enough will, will know him. He was the Derby football manager in the 1970s. He got them promotion to the top flight, and then Derby County became English champions. And he said once, I'm not the greatest manager. I'm not saying I'm the greatest manager, but I'm definitely in the top one. It's hard not to respond warmly to that. It's, love, it's a lovely line, isn't it? I'm not the greatest, but I'm in the top one. Or uh, Muhammad Ali, so many quotes from him where he said, I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. I not only knock you down, I pick the round. 
that's how great he was, and we're drawn to that kind of thing. The high-achieving individual, blazing the trail, winning the prize, that's what it's all about. But Jesus completely subverts that, and he says, let me show you greatness, and he gets a little child, and he says, if you want, and he says, you've got to become like this, and you've got to welcome ones like this. Now, I understand him. He's not saying you need to become more childish. It's about status. In Jesus' day, children had very little status. And he says, those who are great in his kingdom are the ones that don't try and make status claims, don't live off that. And, uh, and what they do is they welcome and serve others who don't seem to have any kind of status either. And you think, what? why would greatness in God's kingdom be like that? And, and you know why. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, or maybe just been around church for any length of time, because what the Bible says about us is that we, we're all deeply flawed because of our sin. We don't have a status claim before God, but the one who did, the one who really did have a status claim, Jesus, he's not come demanding his status. He's come to serve others all the way to the cross so he can then welcome those with no status into his family. That's what greatness looks like. Jesus is the greatest in God's kingdom. And one of the ways we'll begin to spot if we're really knowing him and if we're growing in that kind of greatness is when those for whom life has additional challenges and for whom some might think they don't add anything to my status. They just add more challenges. When we come around people with those kind of additional challenges and we find in this community, uh, they are welcomed and served. And one of the things we're saying to the Lord is, would you please begin to change us the way you've talked about Jesus? Would you please begin to change us in those ways? That's one of the reasons that we wanted to have uh, this evening, the conversation with Lois and John. We're going to do that in a moment. But before we do, we're going to sing again. The musicians are going to lead us. This song that speaks about the Savior and the way he is with people, uh, gentle and lowly. So as the music begins, let's stand and sing again. Down, Lois, John, come and sit up here. Um, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for coming to join us. Uh, I know uh, Sundays are busy for you already. Um, and thank you for making the time for being here. Just as we get to know you, I've known you for years. Uh, maybe there's a couple of people here will, uh, they might, someone might recognize you, John, because you spoke at Tuesday Central weekend away a few years back. So yeah. if you're s sitting here thinking from Tuesday Central, I recognize him. He's Thanks aged him. horribly. He's, a, he's <laughs> aged. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about aging horribly right, while I'm sitting up here. Uh, that'd be good. But tell us, just by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, uh, what, what you do normally, tell us about family, a little bit about that, just so we can get to know you. Um, yeah, um, I'm Lois, uh, by day. Uh, I homeschool my boys, and in the evenings I teach flute and piano lessons. 
Um, uh -huh. We've got two boys, age 15, that's James, um, and 12, Zach. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm John, as you know, and I'm one of the pastors over at Grace Community Church in Kempston. Uh, tell us briefly about the church there. Uh, yes, yeah, so an independent church. We don't have uh, a nice, beautiful building like this. We meet in a glorified shed. Um, uh, but it's, it's a growing church, so there's, it's, there's a lot of encouragement there. Um, but challenges too, because we're, we're fit to bust. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's great to hear. It's a bit more than a shed, just in case you, you <laughs> visit sometime you think, this isn't a very nice, this is more than a glorified shed, uh, the building you meet in, but lots of set up to go on there. Look, thank you for coming. We, we're wanting to think a little bit this evening about uh, being a church that uh, supports children with autism. And just, just to say as we get into that, I've got some questions. We've talked a little bit uh, about this, the kind of things that you'll you, you talk through with us. But just as we as begin, it's worth saying that as we talk about autism, that is not a narrow kind of definable thing. There's, there'll mm. be a range range of experiences uh, with uh, families and individuals who experience autism. What we're, we're thinking about tonight is, you're gonna share some of your uh, experiences particularly, uh, and there might be some overlap uh, uh, with others uh, and some encouragements that can be shared and, and things for us to think about, but for all of us as a church family, uh, just to think as we, as we grow in this together. So, um, that's just by way of clarification at the start. But, but as we begin, Lois, uh, I, I'm going to ask you, and John, you chip in whenever you want to. Lo Lois, t tell us about, uh, you mentioned James. So, mm -hmm. so James is autistic. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about life for James and the experiences he's had and you've had with him. Yeah, yeah. so um, there's a lot that I love about James being autistic. Um, he has some fantastic strengths. Um, in fact, um, just the fact that we're here, um, I, I said to him, um, James, uh, how do you feel about um, me and Dad going and telling people a little bit about your story um, so that other people can understand autism a little bit better? And he said, that's fine, Mum, you just, you know, whatever's helpful as long as I don't have to listen to you. Um, <laughs> so, so that was, you know, very sweet that he's, you know, feeling like he's wanting to help others or at least sort of be part of that um, yeah, but he's got, he's, so he's got a lot of strengths. I think being autistic gives him this kind of laser focus on the things that he's fascinated by. Um, he's got a very clever maths brain. He's got a great memory. And he always knows where I've parked my car when we go out, which has been a lifesaver on so many occasions. Um, but he also has um, some challenges. Autism makes his life difficult in some ways that I think um, it's been really sad, mm. actually, to watch him have to battle through those things. So, and I think the main kind of categories for those would be kind of sensory area and then kind of social challenges. Um, as we were chatting, um, I, I was just kind of asking you to explain a little bit, mm. bit about some of the sensory challenges. I remember, because I've known you since uh, James was born, and I remember one thing you were saying, we bought a trampoline. <laughs> yes. Because bouncing on the trampoline was one of the places where he felt the most steady. Mm. Uh, and I thought, gosh, I can't even imagine that. So can you give us... F some here will, will be thinking, we, we totally understand the, the sensory challenges. For those who mm. don't, mm. can you give us a bit of a window into that? Yeah, so the, the trampoline, um, it was explained to us that um, when... And a, you know, as a little experiment, if you want to, if you can close your eyes, 
you can feel probably where your body is. You can feel where your legs are and where your arms are and what they're doing. And it was explained to us that James probably wasn't, when he closed his eyes, kind of felt like his body wasn't there. So the reason he loved always to, a lot of bouncing when he was younger um, is that impact helped him to feel, oh, there's my body, there it is. Um, so there was a sense in which he became this very relaxed person when he was trampolining, that he wasn't the rest of the time. And then there were similar things around noise. Um, you know, a noise is literally louder to James than it is to me. Um, and smells are very, very intense. So he can quickly get a sort of sensory overload. And just, um, I, again, I can imagine little things where um, it happens in an instant for me and then it's, um, you know, I'm, I've moved on to the next thing. But if that's the kind of, if that's your experience throughout the mm. day and throughout the week, um, what's the kind of impact of that? We were remembering in the car, weren't we? Yeah. Um, when James was four, we, um, we were living on the outskirts of London and we were like, let's take him into the middle of London, let's do something cool. So we took our kids to the Sea Life Centre. We had a, we had a pa Merlin pass, didn't we? Um, so James, uh, you know, um, first we had to take him on the underground um, and I can only imagine how kind of noisy that was across the time we were travelling and, um, you know, just crowds and people jostling into him. So, I'm, and I can see his stress levels going up. Um, and we go around the Sea Life Centre and they have so many sounds and sights and different things and new people. Um, and by the time we'd gone around, I, I said, you know, I think he's... He's quite stressed at this point. Let's go find a quiet place and um, some comfort food, I think, is what he needs to calm down. So we sat by the Thames on a bench, and I gave him a packet of his favourite crisps, which he promptly dropped, and a hundred pigeons descended, and eight just landed on that. So James goes in, I'm going to battle these pigeons, I'm going to get my crisps back. And I'm looking, oh, it's filthy. So James, you know, you can't, you can't eat those now. Um, and he lost the plot. Um, so... He, he just went into full kind of toddler tantrum, is what it looked like to those. Um, and I had to hold him to keep him away from eating those filthy crisps. Um, and he starts just repeatedly hitting me on the head. He's just lost it. And I think everybody watching, and there were a lot of people watching, um, I said, oh, what a naughty child. Um, but I'm thinking, oh, I think this kid's in a flat-out panic. Um, he's lost. He's just lost the ability to cope. He's so sad. Um, so I said, James, I've got a chocolate bar in my bag, um, and everyone around went, Oh, how a bad mother giving chocolate to that naughty child. No wonder he's treating her that way. Um, but and I think that's the kind of the, these experiences were very frequent actually um, through his childhood and. You know, I'm not saying that my kid could never be naughty, but there were these... I was aware there was so much he was having to deal with. And, and just with that, because um, that, that, that's helpful as well to think... I, I was just thinking about the social challenges that come with that, um, mm. how you're being perceived yeah. and what the reality is, and there's, there's a difference there. I, mm. Again, I don't know if you've... Both of you have got those kind of insights with James, just just the added pressure of those kind social. of social interactions uh, yeah. and the challenges that come with that. Well, it was interesting when we had our second little boy, Zach, um, mm. how quickly and intuitively he picked up body language and facial expressions and understood what people sort of wanted of him that way and communication. Um, whereas James, I think, just was a bit oblivious um, to what I would have thought at the time, oh, that's just normal, everybody knows that. Um, 
And looking at James now at 15, I would say you see James with his autistic friends and the communication is fantastic. They're communicating brilliantly together. Um, but with his neurotypical friends, they have to work. It's like a cross-cultural... Mm -hmm. They have to work at understanding each other. And I think what's particularly hard is in primary school, um, James was probably the only autistic kid in his class. And, you know, he, there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstandings and confusion. And actually, you know, the teacher's telling him off for things and he doesn't know why. Some kids are kind of ignoring him and going, you seem weird, I'm going to leave you. Other kids are going to pick on him and provoke him. Um, and that sort of, I think that can build into this sort of vibe where you think, well, I'm, the way I am doesn't seem to be okay. People don't seem to like me. There's, and I think there's a kind of a social, a bit of a sadness to that. I, I can imagine. Hmm. Uh, I can imagine quite a lot of that. And I think in our conversation... I think I've been just thinking on that quite a lot um, uh, since you were you were mentioning that to me. Um, and John, if I if I can ask, uh, you your Christian family, uh, you want to help your children grow up in the faith uh, and as part of church. Um, those who are parents can know getting any children to church on a Sunday morning uh, can be challenging at any point, you know, arriving at some point, but with some of the, the challenges you've mentioned already, the additional challenges, what, what's been, what was your kind of experiences of church? Yes, I think it's fair to say it's been really mixed. Um, when we took James to church at, at our old church in London whilst we were living there, I think we found it really difficult to know how to help him um, just be in church because he always wanted to be mobile that's not usually something that's super acceptable in a church service uh, for a three-year-old to be zipping around the place he, he also could be quite noisy and again that's not an easy thing to accommodate but I think there were kind of particular moments that re we remember being quite painful um, when he was down in uh, creche I think it was the first time but um, uh, you know we took him I think you were, stayed with him for a bit and all the kids are playing with toys uh, and as kids do in creche and then the, whoever's leading Christ said, right, it's time for story time. Everyone sit in a circle. And I think he said to the, the person leading, he, he won't do that. He will not sit still in one place. Um, do you want us to take him away? And they were like, yes, please. And I thought, oh, okay, so that was that sort of one knock. And then we thought about bringing him back into the service, but then obviously the, the talk has started by then, and it was like, but there's no way he's going to be um, in a socially acceptable kind of state for the talk. Um, he's going How old was he at this stage? We're talking about, I guess, two, three, four, that sort of age range, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so anyone staying Small. in for the talk at two or three is... It's going to be... Yeah, yeah challenging. Um, exciting. Um, uh, and so, um, and so then you, I guess it left us with James feeling like, I'm not sure how we can even be at church if he can't be in the creche and they don't seem to be able to accommodate him and we can't have him in the service, what do we do? So I think, I mean, you had a moment really for about six months where you kind of just, just dropped out of church with him. Um, I'd take Zach, um, but we just couldn't find a way to make it work in the church we're at currently. Um, so, yeah. Can I just... Uh just to ask a question in on the, the emotions of all that, because mm. some of this is, is function. How do we make this work? But internally, the kind of emotions that were going on for, for you guys as, as parents at that time. How did you find that morning? 
I, it's very rejecting, um, I think. Um, and I think I would say that because it had happened repeatedly, mm. actually, in different scenarios, that wasn't mm. our only experience. Um, there were things that happened outside church, too, of just going, well, no, your kid can't be here. And you sort of think, wow, well, that's not really his fault. Um, what's, what, what's life going to be like for him growing up if people keep telling him to go away? Mm. Um, and that was painful Very. and worrying for the future. Yeah. yeah. And John, you said mixed experiences, so not, not all like that? No, so, I mean, I'm really thankful we ended up at the church where, where I'm currently uh, one of the pastors. We, when we visited, you know, right up in the notices, uh, like uh, we had earlier uh, in the morning, um, the person leading the service said, look, if you've got children with you, that's wonderful. We love having children with us. And we know that they, they move around, they make some noise. We're totally used to that. Uh, please don't feel embarrassed by that. Uh, they're very welcome. And all, suddenly, oh, shoulders Better. back a bit. Yeah. Um, when we went, we were met by someone who was involved in the children's work. And they said, look, you've got kids with you. you know, you've just come. Is there anything you know, particularly that you, you need? Um, and, and just that interaction was mm. encouraging. And we quickly found, actually, someone, uh, she was, um, uh, I guess, was she about 13, 14 at the time? 17. Was she that old? Yeah. Okay, right. Um, (laughs) We very quickly found a um, 17-year-old, one of the girls in church, and she kind of quickly made quite a connection with us as a family, and she would come and sit with us most Sundays, and often she would maybe look after Zach. Uh, if was, you were looking after James. Yeah. Um, And just the the vibe and the the approach was very different there. and just, just on that, so you, Zach and James, um, that is, I think one of the things you mentioned is, well, for, for you, you're sometimes up at the front in church, mm. you've got two children with mm. different needs. Yeah, yeah. And that's... Prone, I mean, prone to running in different directions, very much, yes. And so to have someone else, so interesting, this Alice, who is yeah. somewhere between 13 and 17. <laughs> or 23, <laughs> I don't know. 20, <laughs> some kind of age there. Yeah. <laughs> But interesting, for her, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily you needed someone to sit with uh, James, but just a real mm. help to have someone who was keeping an eye on Zach. Yeah, yeah um, brilliant. Half the church thought she was Zach's mum for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> Zach didn't think that, though. So he that... did call us both mummy for a while. Oh, right, okay. Um, we, we I, think, I think because he realised that was going to be embarrassing for me, and that's his sense of humour. Um, but let's leave that be, sorry. Children are delightful, aren't they? <laughs> uh, in, yeah, in, in well, I've, the, I've not been bored with my the, boys ever. Those kind of no. boys. So was that, you know, that shoulders back moment, um, mm. did, so did that just continue there? Was it, I mean, Alice coming and sitting with you, mm. was, I mean, that wasn't planned or organised. No, the, the, the lady who met us when we came in, we said, look, it would be quite helpful if someone sat with us, maybe we could find someone. And she said, oh, don't worry, that happens all the time. Like, members of the congregation sit with families and uh, look after them. And at the time, we kind we of thought... didn't believe it, no. mm, That sounds like a brush off. So we were a bit worried as well. But it has been our experience that oftentimes families, when they come into the church gatherings on a Sunday, that other older members of the church or other families might make a beeline for them and sit with them. It is getting more challenging now as we're growing, um, but that was our experience. It wasn't planned, it wasn't organised, it was part of the culture. I mean, that's encouraging to hear, isn't it? If that's a Christian community growing in this kind of way, we, we look mm. at it, it could feel like a brush off, and it could be a brush off, mm. but really encouraging when it actually, actually happens like that. I'm just looking at my notes because I think I put down something else uh, to ask. 
Oh. Let me see if you can phrase this. Then you can chip, it, chip in on this the right way. So as I, as I, as we talked together the other week, I was thinking in terms of, I, I can be very task focused. Mm. And I can imagine myself, uh, I, I might only think something like, what unsettling impact mm. might a child with autism have on church activities and never think, what unsettling impact might our church activities have on one of Jesus' little ones who's autistic. Mm. Um, what is, are you, are you able to share, I don't know, James's own words about what coming to church is like? Are mm. you able to say what? Well, we asked him, didn't we? Yeah, go on. Um, in fact, I was rather ashamed of myself when I realized that he was 14 before I asked him, James, what is it like for you coming to church? Um, and he said, I hate the music, um, and I hate the crowd. Sorry, musicians. Sorry, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I really love seeing my friends afterwards. Um, and I think that was very interesting because the music is just literally too loud for him. Um, it's just painful. Um, and the crowds are intimidating, and he doesn't like to be touched, and there's a lot of people, and sometimes strangers try to talk to him, which is a bit like, what are you doing? Are you, are you trying to start a fight? Um, and... Um, but also really encouraging that people have got to know him and that it's the relationships that he's valuing. So, so relational connections. Mm, uh, yeah, which you know, isn't a given, is it? Um, people had tried to cross that bridge and he'd met and people had shown us hospitality and yeah. people had got to know us as a family. And he has now in that, you know, at 15, um, I said to him the other day, James, stop sitting in the corner of church with your phone because no one will talk to you if you're on your phone go and stand in the middle of church and look lost. Um, and being a good boy, he actually did what I said, um, which was very, um, you know, I'm still surprised by that quite often. But um, he went and sort of wandered around at the edge. And actually, people from church go, oh, James is on his own. I'm going to go and have a conversation with him. And that's something I just love about our church and I'm so grateful for because he enjoys the company. And I think sometimes people forget this of kid, of people who aren't his own age. He enjoys chatting with adults, and he actually is really good with little kids too. Mm. Um, so just because, you know, you're not 15 doesn't mean that a conversation isn't valued. Yeah, yeah. in fact, if you're not 15, you could well have better social skills than a 15-year-old. Um, <laughs> it's not hard. Again, apologies to any current 15-year-olds <laughs> in the room. Um, <laughs> but there is that sense of, uh, there's a sense of responsibility that actually as someone who's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 70s, 80s, you know, you've had a lifetime of relating to people, and actually you're, you're really well-placed to speak to someone who actually might find face-to-face -face connections quite difficult. Uh, the other well, thing, sorry, I was going to say hospitality. You mm. mentioned briefly, that was one of the beautiful things about what we experienced coming into the church, is that when we went round to people's houses, they were quite on the front foot, and said, look, how can we make this easy for you? And we said, have you got stuff downstairs that, you're, that you care about? And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, if you could move that, um, <laughs> that'd be great. Because people went up to their lofts and got boxes of old matchbox cars, didn't they? Yeah. So and they people made an effort. Yeah, yeah, to either make their house safe from James mm. or to provide things and or to provide things that he would like playing with. I mean, I remember, if you don't mind me... No, so, I, don't, sorry, I don't mind at all. <laughs> um, at our first church, um, where connections weren't made so well, mm. um, I remember a couple of people going up to James, and he would only have been two or three, and going, hello, and smiling at him. And I think, you know, he would literally turn and run, wouldn't he? he? Would um, and they kind of go, oh, 
he didn't want to talk to me, and that's it. Um, and I would just say as a word of advice, if you want to get to know an autistic child, go to their parents and ask what the special interest is. And if you want to go and get to know my James, mm. um, what you need to do is you need to walk up to him and say, James, what's been launched into space this week? <laughs> and you will have a long conversation and he'll be very happy. Uh, but ask the parents what is their special interest because most autistic children have a passion. Um, find out what it is. And for James, space? Space travel. Trains? Was trains, now space travel. Ah, right, okay. Mm, yeah. Trains still yes. of interest. Oh, yes. Still, yeah, still yeah, of yeah. interest, yeah. space travel. Yeah. Ask him about Elon Musk. Ask him about his YouTube channel. You're, you'll be away. Okay. James's okay. YouTube channel. Is no, not, not Elon, Elon Musk. Oh, yes, no, not um, Elon Musk, no. Okay. <laughs> um, and tell, tell us, um, Lois, let me ask a slightly different question. I, I remember when our boys were younger and they'd say things like that. Why, why are we going to church? And my immediate answer would be, because it's Sunday. Uh, I thought after a while, that's not a great answer, is it? I need to think of a better answer than it's just Sunday. But also, you're talking about wanting, wanting James to look forward to Sundays yeah, in, yeah. in the whole and thinking yeah. about how, how can we do that? So church mm -hmm. is part of Sunday. Um, what are the kind of things that you found were helpful, that you thought through uh, with mm. him? I mean, you're right. We did want James to love Sundays, love church, love God. Um, we wanted him to get to know his church family, um, but we could see that he was very stressed at church. So I, I think our, you know, we put some in our autism basics in. You have a low demand morning. You have your visual timetable, so it's predictable. Uh, bring some air defenders. Uh, t t tell us, just pause on that a little bit. Visual mm. timetables. Why are those kind of things yeah, helpful? Yeah. So um, mm. for James, one of his big coping strategies in life is to be mentally prepared for what's ahead. So we always and almost always still do, timetable his days. Uh, we used to have a row of pictures to show when he was very little what's going to happen today. These days I email him a list in the morning. Um, and we also had a ground rule, and probably still do, that you never ask James to do anything now. It's always in five minutes, however small the thing, in five minutes, um, because he needs to be able to prepare himself. So, and, and, and anything else with preparing on Sundays? Because there's a service, other things in the day that just make it fun for him? Well, yeah, so I would keep the morning quiet. I mean, we used to have uh, sort of decompress when we get back. Do you remember for a while it was a pizza and a movie after church as a kind of, yeah, you did it. And also, we can see you need to relax now. Um, but we wanted, um, I think my, one of my first instincts was to comp try and compensate. You know, I can see that there's all these stressful things at church, so let's bring some fun things to church. So when he was tiny, there were toys that only came out on a Sunday. Um, mm. Later, it was crafts. Later, it was picnics and special food that made all the other kids jealous. Um, later on, it was, being, it was sitting with his friends, um, but trying to make the positive, bring some positives, some extra positives, because he's got some extra negatives, so let's bring some extra positives. And then the other side, which is to relax some of the rules at church. And I think that's been a bit of a thorny issue, not just at church, but all sorts of places we've been, that we are frequently asking people to relax the rules for James, and very often that is not a welcome request. Um, no. Yeah. And that, um, and in terms of relaxing the rules, it, it's not because you are anarchic parents. And then, <laughs> Oh, we might just go. But here, this is, we're thinking about someone for whom those kind of structures really add massive stress. Well, exactly. Uh, and I think what's really genuinely difficult about this is, 
I mean, if I turned up here uh, with a broken leg, it would be very obvious what I need and why. Um, nobody can see what James needs, um, and most people have no clue why he would need it. Um, and like you said, it's never usually an individual rule that's a problem, but it's the whole package. You know, you, James has many battles to fight in his life that other children don't have. So if I'm asking him to do everything that the other kids his age are doing and fight all his autism battles, then it becomes a very, very big, stressful package. So we're always looking for ways, how can we make this easier, easier? And we're looking for what, what rules does he not need to, what, what can we take off his plate? Um, and that involves some difficult decision-making on our part as parents. Mm. Um, and then it also requires us to kind of be honest, you know, with ourselves sometimes, but also, you know, with our church family and, and with James and have those conversations. Well, what help do you need? What's difficult? Um, and then we have to try and kind of judge and make priorities. I was just thinking of something else to ask you that's come out of my head. One example well, uh, of yeah. that is um, James really hates, uh, I don't know, some of you sitting kind of in the middle of a row, uh, halfway, like, he'd hate that. Um, he doesn't like the sense of being hemmed in, people mm. on either side, and at our church we stream our services. He hates being on camera. So he hates the thought of just the risk of being caught on camera. So one of the things he would like, he likes to do is sit up kind of near where some of you guys are sitting, um, at the back or on the left, particularly on the left in our church, because mm. there's no chance he'll be caught on the live stream, and it's got a bit more space. Now, normally, we reserve those seats in our church for people coming late, so we can say, look, you can come in late, and it's as least embarrassing as possible, but for the sake of James, it's a rule that people have been happy to bend, yeah, and we so he can that. sit somewhere that I think, um, he can survive in. My kind of, one of the, the helpful things about being a Christian and this kind of judging um, has been, uh, you know, in, uh, I think it's uh, the prophet Samuel has to go and appoint David, anoint David as, as king, but he doesn't know which brother it is. And he turns up and he sees all these big brothers and he goes, oh, they're so you know, impressive and well-dressed and well-built and well-mannered. You know, these guys are going to be the best. Um, and God kind of tells him off, doesn't he? And says, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart you know, I want the little scrawny, badly dressed one, please. Um, you know, he's got the heart that I need. Um, and I think a lot of rules, um, spoken and unspoken rules, um, some are heart rules, some are about loving each other. And I want both of my boys to learn to love other people as fast as they possibly can. Um, but then there's a whole load of rules that are really about outward appearance and social conformity and... I think some of those can just be kicked for touch sometimes if, you know, I mean, it's nice to fit in if you can, but um, actually sometimes I'm trying to make my kids do things just because I'm embarrassed if they don't. Mm -hmm. And I've got to let that go a little bit and go, you know what, come to church in your pyjamas, have three seats, roll around on the floor, have chocolate all over your face, play chess. Um, these are all things that James has done at church. Um, or a Spider-Man suit. So, it, and it, as, it, and, as, yeah. and a Spider-Man suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, no shoes. It is, I know as we were talking, you, you mentioned this phrase in the Gospels where it says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm. And there is something, isn't there, in the, the Bible of um, the way God seems to work that... Because um, the kind of things we're talking about is uh, James, if, if I can put it this way, the kind of shape he is, the way God has made him. How can we make things in, in church life uh, as easy as possible mm. um, for him to 
be able to come and enjoy and experience God's grace in this community. Yeah. And at the same time, we know that part of the way God works on Sundays is part of the functions of Sundays is saying that we're all out of shape mm. and that part of the function of Sundays is to help shape us um, in the right way to grow. And it sounds like you're saying both those things. And yet yeah. with someone with the additional challenges, we've just got to think a bit more widely than that on um, it's keeping that heart issue. We, we want as a, as a community all to grow in this mm. kind of considerate, gracious love towards one another. That, that's mm. really helpful. The predictability thing, mm. uh, one of the reasons I, I know I've still got um, things to, to learn on this, uh, because it's a different kind of service, um, we did it tonight, we changed the sitting round. That's not very predictable. Uh, and so if you're here and that has thrown you slightly in, in a really <laughs> uncomfortable way, sorry about that. Um, it was partly to signal something else, but, um, uh, and somebody did mention it at the start, but we felt too far down the road on it, but that those kind of things are, are helpful for us. And I, I've got a couple of other questions. Let me just check on the time, because um, we've got a couple of minutes. Jo John, we, we've talked about um, uh, some of this already, but maybe you can summarize some more and maybe give us some lists. Um, just really more practical, how can church family, do you think, be more helpful for, I'm going to pick up a phrase you use, neurodiverse families, mm. and if you, if you want to explain any of that language of neurodiverse, for, for those who know, how, how can we be more helpful? So, uh, the, it's lovely that you started with Matthew 18, uh, and you know, how Jesus um, talks about little children, you know, just later on in chapter 19. Uh, little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And I think, I guess the, the, most, the most helpful thing I could try and say is, in terms of a church responding or trying to engage and welcome people with additional needs like this, is a question, first and foremost, of culture and attitude. Um, it's not so much about lists and uh, policies, but it has to be that sense of we do not want, how, wherever possible, anything to hinder people coming to us. And, and particularly, you know, children were not seen, they didn't have great social status, did they then? So these are people, who, that's why the disciples are like, man, these aren't the important ones. Mm, you, you need to be spending time. No. Um, so I think it's, it's a culture and attitude of seeing each person with the value that Jesus sees in them. And I think it probably starts there in a mindset um, culture thing. I think, and you know, I'm partly responsible for sort of helping lead a church. And when someone comes with additional needs, it, it can be really demanding. Uh, and, you know, many of you here will be in those sort of positions in, in kids' groups or different teams where someone comes to you and you think, oh gosh, to make this work, it's going to be quite difficult. Uh, I, I, as both someone who is part of leading a church, but also someone with a parent with additional needs, uh, a kid with additional needs. I really get that. Um, but it's lovely if people's first response is, oh, okay, we'd love to see how that, we can make that work. It doesn't mean you, it, it can always be made to work. But if the first impulse is, what is it that you need? Hmm, okay, let's see if we can make that happen. That's a lovely thing to receive, uh, either as a parent with a child with additional needs or as someone who has additional needs themselves. It's just, it's such a... It's such a contrast to most of the experiences that parents and children will receive in other places. It's the difference between someone feeling like immediately they're pulling away yeah. to, to leaning towards you. Uh, and so looking to kind of 
wherever possible, uh, flexibility. One of the things that's really noticeable as parents is if anyone comes up to you and says, oh, I've noticed how you're looking after James. That's really lovely. Um, when you're feeling particularly embarrassed or uh, like you're making a lot of mistakes, uh, to be honest, this is true, isn't it, for parenting generally. Yeah, um, but I, mean, I mean, I can't begin to count the number of times people have said, I see your child has got these problems, you know, how about you do this, this, and oh, it's quite judgmental, mm. sort of, you need to, well, we've had, you need to smack your child more, you need to discipline better. Yes. Um, there's a lot of, you get a lot of judgment. You get a lot um, of negativity. When they're little, if, if they're perceived to be, yeah. you know, not ticking all the boxes. So a lot so. of encouragement and a lot of affirmation is, yeah. is yeah, yeah, yeah. just a, is, yeah, it's very, it's wonderful. It's outstanding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In our church, we've just kind of identified someone who can, uh, a named person who can take a lead for us, uh, kind of thinking about this area of uh, additional needs and inclusion just across the spectrum, whether it's physical, uh, mental, uh, developmental, uh, someone who can look at almost every one of our practices and our culture and start speaking to us as a leadership team. Look, how can we as a church move more towards Christ-likeness? in this zone. I think, actually, it's one of those things, if you don't measure it, or you don't have someone whose responsibility it is, it can easily fall through the cracks. So that's kind of an organisational response. Um, uh, oh, just on that uh, judgmental thing, um, one of the responses we often got when we were describing a challenge we were having uh, as parents is someone would say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> uh, and that was kind of, okay. basically, it's kind of crushing. Um, now, I've said that to other people, so I'm equally guilty of it. And I understand it's an impulse to connect and empathise, but you probably don't know exactly what we're going through. Um, and to think that you do kind of minimises how, how difficult we're finding it. Uh, so it's actually quite a discouraging thing to say. It's just a, a little thing. Uh, and then maybe the final thing as a church in terms of including people is it's, it's beautiful to find ways for people to serve. Um, I think... Uh, again, it's really easy to, to view people with the world's lenses. Um, oh, they're good at this. We're going to use, you know, if someone comes to church and you think, oh, they've got lots to offer. Uh, uh, someone with additional needs come and go, oh, this is going to be difficult. Um, I think it'd be lovely to escape that kind of mentality. There's, you know, the idea of 1 Corinthians by every member of the church body being incredibly valuable and having something, yeah, something unique that they can bring to that church family. I think. If we can capture a vision of that for every member, uh, neurotypical or diverse, um, that would change a lot. That's why I think it's primarily an issue of culture and attitude more than just lists of practices. Uh, Lois and John, thank you very much. That's really helpful. I'm glad this has been recorded. Can we just show our appreciation? In a moment, in a moment, we're going to round off our service singing together again before a final prayer. Before we do that, why not just take a moment, just turn to somebody nearby and just chat for a little bit. Maybe, maybe just share something that has caught your attention, captured your imagination, or or a new thought or idea that you've never considered before as we, we've talked tonight. So just take a couple of minutes to talk with somebody nearby, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Back together there. A couple of thoughts before I, I lead us in prayer. One of the things we, we didn't get to, I hope uh, Lois and John don't mind me saying this, when, uh, when we were chatting the other week, one of the things they said uh, was, um, as, as James was born, um, 
and just beginning to grow up, uh, they said, I adore children, and I can get any child to play with me uh, except my own. Um, and I thought that was a real window for me into just some of the additional sadnesses and challenges that come. And I think in terms of our empathy in a church family, those kind of things that you can't say all the time. And to think, gosh, uh, that must be hard. And then that, that line they said towards the end, when asking for help, um, if our response, our initial response is, oh, I'd love to see if there's a way we can do this for you. Wouldn't it be great, not only if we said that, but if the Lord so worked in our hearts that that's what comes out from us um, by his spirit. We're shaped in, in that kind of way, like our Savior. I'd love to see. I'd love to see if we can do that. Uh, let me lead us in, in a prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for um, the way you draw people together into your family. Thank you, you are just promiscuous with your generosity. It goes out to everyone, uh, and you want to draw people in, and you want your people to share your love and your concern. Please help us as a family to grow in those kind of ways, to be able to uh, sympathize with genuine sadness uh, and not to remain at a distance, uh, to seek to help in Christ's name and grow us as a place here. Uh, where those who come feeling unsettled and unsteady in the world would feel uh, loved and would come to know the Savior uh, who is kind and gracious. Amen. Well, our, our musicians are going to lead us.